Welcome to episode 262 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles, aka the kitchen table. This week on the show, really, really happy to be able to bring you this uh, conversation. Liz Rosenthal, co curator of Venice VR, official VR competition of the Venice International Film Festival. Uh, is here with us today. Uh, she is the co-curator with uh, Michel Reac uh, of the programming. Michel was not able to join us. He was in a he was on a transcontinental drive at the time of our conversation. Um, for for those of you who may be on the theater side of things and don't uh, know about Venice, uh, the Venice International Film Festival is a really big deal. Uh, it is like in the top tier of film festivals uh like like it is you know it's up there with con and everything else right it is it is on that level okay so it's a big deal in and of itself uh and la biennial has supported the vr programming in a big way like they give the vr programming its own island all right so like that's the level we're talking about here uh and that is secured venice vr's place in the top tier of vr events worldwide um and honestly you you wouldn't expect less uh from venice you just wouldn't so it's my great honor to be able to have uh, liz on the show this week and uh everything and we're talking right now because venice vr expanded which is going to have like over 40 uh, pieces in it is going to be available online and in satellite events uh they they're really getting things out there so uh if you've got if you've got a quest or a rift or a vive you've got a chance to interact with the programming this week and for most of it you're going to be able to interact at no cost so let's get to it all right uh before we get into the show proper a reminder Everything Immersive Beta has launched, all right? The public beta has launched. We now encourage you to go on the site, use it, check it out. Remember, it is a beta, number one. And number two, the only stuff that's in there are the things that producers put in there. So if you roll in and it's like, hey, why isn't this there? Well, uh, if you know about it and you know it's good and you think it should be on, go bug the producers of the programming and say, hey, you guys should put your things in here so more people can find it. Uh, we're really trying to uh, create sort of the front page of the immersive internet with everything immersive. And uh, the road to that has started now. We've got new features rolling out next week. I'm very, very excited. Uh, and yeah, we, we hear the comments and suggestions and there's some stuff where people are like, oh, you guys should have that. And it's like, I'm mm-hmm, working on it. It's on the list. And other times people come up and like, you guys should have this. And it's like, mm, no. And then sometimes people say, you guys should have this. And like, oh, that is a good idea. And then it goes on the roadmap. So, uh, keep it, keep the notes coming and, uh, we'll keep absorbing them. Just remember, uh, it's being worked on for free by one developer who's doing this generously so uh if you're if you've got some big idea about it and you think oh wouldn't it be great if the site did blank and you know how to make that kind of thing hey we'll talk to you so that's how the size existed in the first place that's what happened with chris we'll have chris uh, on uh probably in a couple weeks to talk about the whole thing um we'll, we'll do it we'll do a show none of this stuff none of the focus <laughs> i laugh because like i'm so like just shaken up these days N- what little focus we have left as human beings, which goes into this multi-structural thing, monstrosity that is no proscenium and everything immersive and here and all the other stuff. None of that would be possible if it wasn't for our Patreon backers. Um, we have two new backers this week, Ethan Graham and Francis Amadar. I uh, hope I didn't butcher anybody's name. Sorry, I'm infamous for that. Uh, We are up to 337 backers right now, so we're just 13 shy of our next big milestone. Uh, And everything we do is thanks to our Patreon backers. Like, the the show would never have existed if people hadn't shipped in the first place. And I don't know, I'd be a substitute teacher somewhere 
in Idaho. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not certain. I don't know what that timeline looks like. Very different from this one. Probably not better. Probably. Anyway, um, <laughs> we thank everybody uh, who supports us, especially our sustaining backers. Um, they they really show an amazing amount of love towards us. Love and patience. Uh, our sustaining backers, Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, Sydney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany and Elaine. We've got two more joining next month. You can help out at any old level uh, starting at two bucks over at patreon.com slash no proscenium. And uh, we're, we're doing more to hopefully make that more valuable to you as the years go on. All right. All that is said. All that is done. Let's get into this episode. And I'll talk to you for a couple of minutes on the back end. <laughs> Liz, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. It's 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 morning where I am. What what time of day is it where you are right now? It is six p.m. in the evening, so I am close to the well. I should say close to the end of my working day, um, but because the festival is about to start next week, um, it's still in the midst of my working day. <laughs> I don't know anything about such things. <laughs> oh, uh, that that last week before festival is always is always just it's it's an amazing it's an amazing feeling. Is it is it? But it's got to be a little strange this year because it's it's not exactly this. Is it? Does it feel the same even though the conditions are different? It feels entirely different, and I think mm. it's just because our lives are so different, and they're all virtual. Um, which is what most of the Venice VR section is this year. Um, so it's kind of weird, and there's a lot more to sort out this year. Um, I always thought physical events were like about the most stressful and complex things you could do, but virtual ones are definitely infinitely more so. Mm. This is this is a pretty good segue because I've been curious about how the current unusual circumstances have led the team to rethink what the VR program could be. So I wonder if we could, we can crack in there and, and get into some of the meat. We're already in the marrow. I love it. Absolutely. Um, so Michelle Reck, who's my um, co-curator on Venice VR, and we worked together, we set up the section um, back in 2017. Um, we've been thinking for a long while, actually, about how we could, um, you know, change and expand and adapt the event to actually include um virtual a virtual side of the festival so it's kind of odd um and you know it's sad that we can't have the physical edition of the festival but at the same time we're testing out the things that we wanted to uh explore anyway that we talked about last year we thought wouldn't it be wonderful to do a hybrid event where you have the physical um event but you also brought in aspects of virtual worlds where they connected with um in real life um so that was our plan initially, but now um, the whole section is being featured virtually um, in across several platforms that I can go into in a bit. Um, but we also um, have uh, a wonderful side of the section, which is our satellite um, section. We've partnered with 16 different institutions around the world who are going to be showing um, the uh, selection in their different venues. So that's our kind of hybrid side for this year. It the 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 situation everyone's been forced into in in the festival world of, of moving things online and, and hybridizing. I'm seeing so many festivals, you know, rethink the way they, the, the sort of the distribution part of what they do and the exhibition part of what they do, and and, and I'm seeing more people. You know, reach out to other festivals, reach out to to you know, satellite locations, and and that affords that affords the the creators such a a, a broader audience than a than a festival can kind of afford them. Absolutely. So, of course, it's so beautiful to have in real life events, and I love live events. I love, um, you know, I obviously love going to Venice, and I love being. Um, in our beautiful location, because usually we're in on this beautiful island, Lazaretto Vecchio, 
um, we're really lucky because the Biennale is such an incredible organisation and, and they've managed to secure this fantastic location that we usually are based in. Um, but then there's this extra plus, of course, which you mentioned, which is the fact that when we go online um, and we go, we can go global. And that's really exciting for makers, but it also throws up huge amounts of challenges. I mean, first there's a technical challenge, and then there's this idea, what does it mean to have a festival? And often festivals are all to do, especially a festival like Venice, which is a um, you know a premium event. It's one of the big A-list film festivals. It's all about exclusivity and premiering work. So there are there's that side, which is really complex, which completely sort of turns around the whole idea about release windows and showing work in different territories and across different platforms, which we're sort of grappling with at the same time. Yeah, the, 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 there's also the, the human element of when we have a physical festival, so much of it is about those those little spontaneous connections. I've never had the pleasure of going to Venice, but uh, having had the pleasure of going to Sundance a few times, you know, my favorite experience at Sundance is often being on the bus, looking across at someone saying, oh, what what have you seen that's good? And them telling and us sharing stories and then and then sort of getting to set out on a whole nother adventure. And actually, uh, I want to come back around to that that issue of you know, designing, you know, a virtual space with that in mind. But maybe you can kind of walk us through for the folks who are going to be able to join remotely what it is they're going to be encountering this year. Absolutely. So we are working with a number of different platform partners, um, VRChat, Vroom, Viveport, and Oculus. So it's kind of amazing. We've, um, it's amazing to have this collaboration with all these different diff- companies. Um, so what's complex about um, virtual reality is the fact that there's no standard format um, for showing works in virtual spaces. And that's a huge challenge because it means you can't have one platform where people can go to and be in and socialize in, so a, a virtual world, where you can then um, show six degrees of freedom work, for example, um, and uh, be on all types of headsets. So it meant we had to sort of and design this sort of complex web of different platforms and worlds that people could visit on different headsets. So um, basically, I'll, I'll start with the epicenter, I would say, of the Venice VR expanded virtual world, which is our virtual world, which is going to be on VR chat that's been designed by a company called Room. So it's going to be a kind of re-envisaging of Venice. So you arrive in Venice and then you arrive on an island um, where there's an exhibition hall, which you can move around in, you know, as you know, you have an avatar in VR chat. Um, so you're moving around, you can meet people there who are embodied as avatars and you can walk around the space and walk into through different portals where you can get previews of the six degrees of freedom projects And you can actually view the three degrees of freedom projects, so the 360 projects within the space. But to see the projects that are more complex, that are interactive and have more agency, you generally have to jump into another platform to do that. So most of our six degrees of freedom works are hosted on Viveport. Um, So we have 26 projects that are hosted there. Um, We have nine... um, three degrees of freedom projects which are hosted across VR chat in our virtual world on Viveport and on Oculus TV. And then we have six um, Oculus Quest only projects that are hosted in Oculus. And then we have four performance projects which are live performances that happen in virtual spaces. Um, One of them is in VR chat, one is on NEOS, um, and the other one's in its own network space. And then we have one sound project as well. So I would say the starting point is to go into our VR chat world because that's where everything's represented. Um, and you can wander around and get previews of work that you can't see in VR chat and you can jump into other platforms. Um, the other thing is if you get, an, so a lot of the work is actually free to view, but if you get an accreditation, you get access to. Um, certain other projects 
And also there's a space in our virtual world called The Garden, which we're really excited about. It's a really beautiful designed world where there are going to be talks and presentations and parties and meetup events and places to go off and have sort of secret meetings and do fun things. So that's our kind of trying to recreate the social space of a festival in a virtual world. And and the the core, the hub space in VR chat, that will that be accessible for folks who have both um, you know, like PC level headsets and also for folks who are just poking around on the quest? We have made it accessible. So we're very proud of that because it's really, really hard, as you know, to make uh, VR Chat World's um, Quest accessible. And so Room are doing an amazing job. Um, they've optimized it for Quest. There may be some tiny little things that you can't see, some little surprises, but the whole, everything that you can see as a PC user will be on Quest, basically, apart from the tiny little kind of decorative and interactive features in the world as opposed to the project. So yeah, we're really happy about that. And that was something that Michelle and I really um, see as important, the idea of accessibility. Because it's yeah. so hard anyway. VR is so difficult. And we're always trying to get people into VR. And obviously not having an in real life festival um, in Venice, it's kind of tough because all of those kind of folks that go to, to Venice, especially the film crowd and the film critics who don't have headsets, it's a really great opportunity for to introduce them to um, work in the best kind of um, possible environment, because for us, exhibition is really important. Um, so yeah, we've um, uh, we've made it accessible for Quest users. That's that's so wonderful because the current moment really is this double-edged sword. Like with everything being forced online, it does mean more people have access. But the irony when it comes to VR is that the the commitment of getting a headset. I mean, I've been I've been tracking VR since. You know, just after the 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 Sundance in 2012, uh, you know, I missed Hunger in Los Angeles, Nani's work then. But then that E3 was the year that the that some of the kits were going around, and I still don't. I've never owned a PC strong enough to like run the stuff because it's such a serious financial commitment. Um, and the Quest has really opened up uh, the field for a lot of folks to kind of dip their toes in and and, and check it out. But you still have this whole thing of of people who like you know if it's not their if it's not their bag if it's not their central interest if they haven't experienced something that made them say oh I've got to I've got to own one of these things to see what else is like this festivals have been the place where folks have gotten initiated um, and so it is is this kind of strange moment I I wonder I want to I want to ask you some I've got some questions around. Uh, sort of how you see the field evolving. But I feel like the there's there's an organic spur here, which is you know, VR is mostly an experiential medium. I, I feel that even a good 360 film has an experiential quality. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, as, as a curator, what are some of the unique challenges when it comes to creators trying to explain their work to you and then you trying to explain the work to an audience to entice people in to, to, to explore things when sort of the tools we have for communication other than just put the headset on someone are limited to still images and video and, and descriptive text. How do you, how do you, how do you approach that of, of framing a, an individual piece of work? What tends to, what tends to be the things that, that kind of reach through and grab you as a curator and and that grab the audience? Yeah, so it's such a good question. I often think I go back to any medium, you know, whether it's flat screen, you know, film. And I come from film originally. I often think back to, you know, why do I why do I connect with something? What does it make me feel? And that's a really important thing for any medium that you're working in is what do you want someone to feel? What do you want someone to experience? And so I often sort of like, I mean, it's interesting because I'm also a producer, like I work on a big program called Creative XR where we um, develop 20 projects every year, but we finance prototypes. And I, I'm often sort of like mentoring, um, you know, projects as they develop by artists. And it's always so, so difficult to translate what you're trying to say when you're using a medium that is kind of mostly unknown. 
So I always think it's useful for people to think in terms of the journey. What is the user journey in terms of the kind of emotional journey often for, for a user? Um, but in terms of thinking about, you know, you were, you were mentioning that it's such a, it's such a wide body of work um, that's available in VR. You know, it ranges from 360 video, live action video, to complex multiplayer live performances um, in real or virtual spaces. And how do you translate that to, for example, critics who don't understand the medium? I kind of think it's sometimes almost impossible unless you get them in VR. And that's always been the big challenge for all of us in the community is actually getting people in the headsets. Yeah. I, um, I know in, in, on the live theater side of it, on, 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 on that part of the world, which is often our focus over, over here, there's, there is no substitute. It's like there are people, and I even watch, I even watch creators uh, of, of the live work hear about a show and go, oh, I know how to make that, having never gone. And it's it's this weird game of creative telephone where it's like, well, they they said that they do this. And it's like, oh no, that's that's why do they explain it to you like that? That's not the thing at all. Um and yeah, it's it's really there's like before and after um with so much of this work, whether it's the physical or the digital immersive. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because at the moment, you know, I was talking about um, this program that I'm exec producing and we're trying to get, we usually have this fantastic show, you know, showcase where, um, because the makers show their prototypes and they're looking for further investment from a range of financiers and distributors and exhibitors. And they usually come and demo the prototypes. And we're trying to find a way that people can make sort of walkthrough videos or pictures as videos to explain to people remotely this year because they can't come to London to view things. So it's like a real challenge. And I'm just sort of like going through that at the moment with that program. It's how do you explain what you're making? Um, yeah. It's, it's tough. But it's a, it, you know, it's a fantastic challenge we're getting through across a whole range of projects. And for Venice, it's, it's kind of really interesting as, you know, how you do, how you explain to um, you know, audiences you're trying to entice into either the satellites or, you know, online. Um, how do you, and especially critics, because critics are really important. Um, and there's so little um, critical review of VR projects as well. Um, and it, it's funny, actually, last year, um, Michelle and I did a forum um, called The Art of Reviewing VR. And it's something we feel very strongly about, that we really need good cultural and social commentators in this space there's a lot there are a lot of tech press writing about vr and they write fantastic articles around how the medium's moving but we don't have that kind of commentary that other artistic forms have um, and it's a matter of sort of bringing people into this world and getting them to experience it and so you usually um you know we spend a lot of time um you know taking critics around the island and curating projects for them to see um, and it's almost like a kind of education process because a lot of the time they've never put a headset on and a lot of the time they are so wowed by it. I mean, there's some journalists I've showed around the island who are just, um, you know, they're completely astounded by it. Um, so it's just that difficult thing of trying to get someone in a headset. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if you, if you have the experience of something like uh, Carnegie Arena, and 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 where someone's you know constructed you know a whole onboarding experience uh and and along with the film itself or even when when something's working at a, a smaller scale i'm thinking of something like tree um so much so much care is is put into that journey of the participant the journey of the audience into into uh, connecting with the core material, and and yeah, you you wind up with an entirely different set of verbs because it's it's not quite you 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 can't talk about the way you talk about film because it's not they're not films not not really even the three sixty films not really they're they're doing different things. And you can't talk about the way you talk about 
games, even though some there are VR games. But even then, if, if it's too gamey, if it's if it leans too much on the the hard mechanics, if those are your verbs, then that 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 ephemeral quality, um, you know, the presence, you know, we often talk about in the field, uh, starts to kind of disappear, uh, and it just becomes about the hard mechanics. So it's this it's this kind of tightrope line. Um, and until someone's experienced one that's good, <laughs> they they don't really necessarily know what it is they should be looking for, uh, and that's that's kind of the most exciting thing about the field. Still, I'm I'm wondering, this is the fifth edition. How has the field of work evolved in these past five years? Um, from your point of view, what are what are you seeing? in terms of submissions that just weren't there at the beginning of the cycle? Obviously, the tools have changed a lot. Um, That's the first thing. Um, But then I think it's interesting to see there's a whole lot of new people coming together and working together in the space. You come from um, theatre and games and visual arts and music and filmmakers. Um, And so the work is getting a lot more sophisticated in, in all ways. Um, And I think it's a coming together of all of those different um, skills, um, sort of media silos and creative industries. So you're seeing this kind of work that um, comes from many, many different spaces. So some of the things that um, we've noticed, especially this year, um, is that there's been, there are projects that sit really in the middle of game and narrative. And we're seeing those kind of projects evolve and become a lot more sophisticated. So we have quite a few projects in our best of section. So that's our non-competitive part of the selection um, that come from game studios. So there's projects like, I don't know if you know a project called Down the Rabbit Hole, for example. Um, I actually own a copy of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a beautifully complex work. Um, It's a beautiful piece of artistry, which has got... You know, even though it's a puzzle game, in essence, it's got fantastic characters, it's really brilliantly written, it's beautifully designed. Um, or something like the Room VR, which had this really beautiful sort of representation of this kind of Victorian London. Um, and then, um, so that those kind of titles are really marrying um, narrative and game. And then there are titles that we've got this year, which I think are really, you know, the what's sort of at the cutting edge of um, virtual reality is live performances in virtual spaces. And I think we've seen some of these kind of projects develop because of the um, pandemic. Um, there are people who have created installations that they wanted to be in you know, physical spaces and they've kind of adapted them really to be in virtual worlds. Um, so we're seeing completely new art forms develop so looking at, you know, the music world, we've seen quite a few experiments the last um, few months. You know, things like Glastonbury had um, a section in Shangri-La that um, was online in July on the app Sansar. And then there was a Jean-Michel Jarre concert in VRChat, um, which was designed actually by the company who designed our virtual world, um, Broom. Um, so we've seen quite a lot in the music world and, you know, concerts in, there was a massive concert in Helsinki on May Day that was, um, took place in the virtual version of Helsinki that a company had designed over three years. And, you know, they suddenly thought, wow, we can hold our May Day concert in this. And I think 12% of the Finnish population attended, um, which is kind of amazing. So I think, you know, out of crises, sometimes you get these incredible innovations, and that's what we've seen in our sort of performance section of Venice VR. We've got um, four projects um, that are, well, three are live mocap immersive theatre performances set in virtual worlds, um, all completely different. And that's, some, that's what I would say is really sort of the cutting edge of our programme. But, you know, at the same point, we have really amazing 360 work um, that's still using the tools that were used, um, you know, back at the beginning of when we started um, selecting work for Venice VR. I wonder if we could drill down a little bit on the immersive theater pieces, because that is so our wheelhouse and is 
also from from the jump what I've been waiting for to appear in the space because that that first year I had a headset on was also the year that I I saw sleep no more and I was like okay this this is what this is where we're going and I remember uh, like the following GDC I think it was being the at the <laughs> The weekend that Facebook was buying Oculus, being on the floor of GDC, talking with Nate Mitchell of Oculus, and he was saying, you know, whoever sticks Sleep No More in, in the in the quest, in the rift, they didn't even have the quest yet, whoever sticks Sleep No More in the rift, they win. Um, that was his quote on it. And so, yeah, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about those, those particular projects. Absolutely. So um, one of the projects this year um, is called Finding Pandora X. It's by Kira Benzing. And she had a project last year called Love Seat in the selection, which was actually a kind of hybrid um, project which had a live theatrical performance, um, which we staged in Venice. And it was also using, um, is it High Fidelity? That was a platform that that no longer exists, um, where she had a virtual uh, version of what was happening um, with live mocap performers who were performing live in front of an audience um, who were obviously real-time put into a virtual world with virtual audiences. And she's gone a step further now and created a project in um, VR chat. It's a really fun re-envisaging of the myth of Pandora. Um, And there's some really great surprises in there. Um, And when she showed it to me in April, it was mid-lockdown. It was one of the most joyous um, things that I did, and it really lifted me. So totally recommend it. Then um, the second project is a choreographic project by um, an artist called Gilles Jobin, who previously made a project called BRI. I don't know if you saw it um, in Sundance. We showed it in our best of section of Venice VR. It was a um, it was sort of multiple for multiple people embodied in a space in a location. Um, and this time he's using um, an, uh, his own network space um, to stage a live mocap uh, dance piece. It's actually set in um, the a 3D version of a real uh, new performing art space in Geneva. Um, so the project's called La Comédie Virtuelle. So it's very meta. It's yeah. taking the architectural design of the building. Um, so he was commissioned already to do this. Um, he created choreography for that. It was meant to be for the launch, which was meant to be a few months ago. Um, but they're actually opening, especially for Venice next week. So it's going to be, they, they're actually one of our satellites. So you move through the building um, and you get into one of the spaces and there's a live performance there um, with dancers who are actually physically in different parts of the world. I think he's got a dancer in Australia, a dancer in Bangalore, a dancer in Geneva, and one in LA, who are at the same time performing live. It's kind of amazing in this beautiful space. The third project um, is called um, the meta movie Alien Rescue, um, and that's by um, a director called Jason Moore, who's based in New York, and it's a project that's on NEOS. I don't know if you've been in NEOS at all, Noah, but it's totally the metaverse. It's a new social world that where you can um, create really complex virtual worlds. Um, so this is a um, sci-fi fantasy piece of immersive theatre where um, you, I think as audience members, there's one person who can be one of the sort of main characters um, with the other actors who's embodied um, and the other audience members are little robots who go flying around. And it's kind of extraordinary the, um, the extent of the sets that Jason and his team have created. Super fun. And all of them last about an hour with the onboarding and offboarding. Um, then we've got a fourth project, which is a performance um, piece that's actually a sound only project um, by a fantastic UK company called Darkfield, um, who do experiences usually in shipping containers um, in the dark. And they're spatial sound designs that you go in with sort of about 30 people. And they've now adapted their work into something called Darkfield Radio. And this is the first project they've done. It's called Double. And it's for two people at home. So it's an app that you download onto your phone and you need headphones. And it's super scary. The sound design is amazing. So 
I actually did it with a friend of mine um, across Zoom. You're meant to be sitting across um, a table opposite someone you know, um, and you're meant to look at them and then close your eyes and you listen to the sound and you you hear someone and, and listen to someone in the space you're in and it really um, feels like someone's in your room with you. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of uh, doing one of the shipping container shows. Uh, they they were hired to do a promotional thing for the Invisible Man uh, here in Los Angeles, and it, they are absolute masters of spatial audio, um, just just laser like precision. And the it was being in a room in a dark shipping container with a bunch of people. Uh, that was that was really interesting because they they of course they knew there'd be other bodies in there so they they mix in sound that makes you think is is that the other members of the audience who are making those noises or is is that in the headset and it's it's just it's it's so yeah I love myself some spatial audio um, yeah. some probably probably my favorite experiences uh, over the years have 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 been those um there's, there's something just delightfully disturbing about them even when they're even when they're filled with light it's still like what is going on what is reality i'm hearing things that aren't there um absolutely and it's the first time that i've really noticed where sound really physically affects you because i was so terrified when i was doing double that i couldn't keep my eyes closed because i my body was telling me there was someone in the room with me and it was so interesting just the how you could um, achieve that. You know, usually in VR, obviously, our brain, the limbic brain is tricked. But you could really feel that my limbic brain was being tricked by sound. It was kind of amazing. Have, have you ever had the pleasure of seeing Simon Burney's, uh, I think it's called the, the, the Encounter? I can't remember. Maybe it's not called The Encounter. It's a, it's a performance he does live using... The, the the audience all have headphones on, but it is live in a theater and he's got spatial audio. He's got the, the heads and he's talking into them uh, as he's going about. So it's you, you're seeing him, but you're also getting the spatial audio. And the, the crazy thing is there's a moment at the beginning where he comes in close behind your behind the right ear of the of the, the dummy head and like blows on the ear and your ear, your right ear winds up heating up <laughs> because he's blowing across. You feel, you feel him, you see him. He's, he's hundreds of feet away, depending where you are in the theater, but you can feel it on your ear. And it's just the strangest thing, the way our, our, the way our minds fill in the gap. Um, And, and this is something, I feel like this is like the actual, the actual medium of virtual reality is this gap between the information we're presented and the way our body reacts to it. Absolutely. I always wanted to see that show. I've seen YouTube clips and I, you, you reminded me of something I really feel I missed. But you are so right. And you know when we were talking earlier about how do you describe um, projects like this, I think you just described it perfectly. Um, because there's something around VR where you're so physically and emotionally affected that you don't get in any other medium. Yeah, and that and that's why I mean that even happens for me in 360 film. It's why I may be most interested in you know your six doff experience and your immersive theater performance, but I can still go back even to even to an early work like when. When Chris Milk and Jesse, who's listening, will enjoy them talking about this. When Chris Milk went out for uh, the march in New York and was was going around with one of the early rigs and one of Vice's reporters, and we were just there with people marching after Eric Garner uh, after Eric Garner was killed, and you got a sense there was a visceral sense of being there and a lot of the news stuff i've seen uh there there was this one piece pretty early on uh, i always think of it i think abc news did and it was in uh in a market in damascus which might not even be there anymore which had like stood had been there for like a thousand years mm -hmm. and 
it was just amazing to be in the space and you you just just through sight you know 360 sight and through sound you you got this feeling of of where this place was and and who the people there were and and what the moment was um in a way that no big piece of reflective you know material or giant rectangle in your home could ever do and and so much of that is about the the dynamics of what's going on all around in the space absolutely i mean we had a project last year the daughters of chibuk um which is set in nigeria that was about the tragic story of the kidnapping of all of those girls by the book of haram and it won our um, linear storytelling prize, and it did exactly that. It was such a beautiful, it looked like a simple piece of um, 360 video. It was so elegantly told. And we have other projects who are, you know, just as, um, you know, as powerful in our selection this year. So you're so right. Sometimes it doesn't need to be the most complex, sort of interactive, multi-person, haptic experience to achieve that. Um, there's another project I wanted to mention as well that um, actually, you know, is a wonderful example of um, live action documentary, but also uses um, interactivity within. And it's a project by um, Rose Trochet called We Live Here um, that was produced with Oculus. And it's about homelessness. And it's such an effective project because you are, you're, I mean, it's so moving. You're, um, you start the experience, you're in the home of um, a woman who lives in a tent in a park in LA and you sense the idea of home and what it means to her with the humble object she has around her and what happens to her by the end, you know, she loses the only home she has, this tent. And it's shot 360 with, um, with some light interactivity in, but it's just the choice of how she's chosen to um, stage the story is so effective. So, um, you know, those kind of projects are still, you know, they can have such an impact, even though they're using quite sort of simple virtual tools. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it, you said, you know, how she chose to stage and that, that throws me back also to the the beginning of, of the, the VR Renaissance and, and talking with filmmakers who had worked in live theater and in film and in effects. And there was one person who was, it was sort of perpetually hired. There was like a new deal studios, I think it was called uh, out in the Valley here in LA. And they would often be brought in to do, do some of the earliest demo work for 360 video. And the, the lead filmmaker, he, he was, said, you know, this reminds me, the way I'm working is a lot more like the way I was working in theater than the way I was working in film. And a lot of that at the start had to do with the limitations, like the early 360 cameras. It was like they set it up and then they ran away, (laughs) turned it on. It was like back to the early days of filmmaking. It was like, just roll the take and we'll do it all in one. Um, and, And the tools have evolved since then. But some of that work still holds up because they were thinking about the spatial relationships and the the sort of the choreography in space of, of how are the people moving? You know, what else is, what else is in the the Maison scene? What's in the Maison place even? And, and there's, there's, I feel like there's people who are like, who see that, who go, Oh, right. And they get it and they hew to it. And then there's folks who just think like, oh, I can just, I've got 360 degrees of vision. I can just like slap images up anywhere. Uh, and, and you can always, you can, you can tell who gets it. <laughs> it's how I always feel about this work. Um, Absolutely. You know, and that's why it's so interesting when um, immersive theater, um, you know, practitioners go into a VR, they get it totally. And I almost feel you kind of need people who, work you know live in space with improv they really understand how to use this medium that's always good to hear someone else sees that so all right well liz i i know you've got people coming and there's just a very large event that you've got to produce so i should let you go uh but for those who for those who are um looking to connect because you know 
gloriously. Some of the stuff is just if if you've got the equipment, you can jump in. Where should people go if they if they want to see what they can see this coming week? So the best thing to do is to go onto the Biennale website. So if you go if you if you Google Venice VR Expanded, um, Venice International Film Festival, you will find the page. And it will have all the information about um, what you can see and how you can see it. So there's basically two ways you can access. You can get an accreditation. Um, it's 100 euros. Um, and you can get everything for that. Um, so you can get you can go into all the social spaces. You get all of the content. You can see all the performance pieces, which are accreditation only because there's sort of limited spaces for them. Um, or you can go in for free. We have free access, so you get part of the virtual world you you know you go to venice you get to the exhibition hall but you can't go into the garden part of the virtual world um, and there are certain projects that you can't see so you can't see the quest only projects and the performance pieces um, so if you go to the website you can see um you know you can register for the free access and you'll get information about how you access all of those works and then uh, you can buy an accreditation and you'll get information on how you access all of that part. Um, and also on the website, it's got a kind of key of what headsets you can see things in. So you can make that decision whether you want to get a pass or not. But basically, if you want to see everything, and um, if you want to see everything, you're going to need a Quest and a Tethered headset. Um, but it's got a re- it's really hard just to sort of go through everything. But it's... Um, so if you've got a quest, you would have to buy an accreditation to see the quest only six stuff projects. But you get all the other stuff. You can go to the social space. You can go to the talks and panels. So there's loads to, to see still. But you could go directly onto Viveport as well. Um, you know, so Viveport's a free account. All the I think there are about twenty six projects on Viveport that are for free. Um, and you can also see the um, three sixty or the three dot projects we say um across oculus tv viport video and in the vr chat world in the free one as well so on it's best to go to the website because me listing things is really complicated <laughs> but there's a re, there's a kind of visualization of how you see everything which i really hope everyone understands <laughs> because michelle and i spent ages trying to find a way that we can explain this crazy complex world um, but apart from that if you live in one of the 16 satellite cities um, around the world, um, you can go to one of their venues. And you, what you do is on their website, you can book directly, book tickets. They're arranging all of their own um, booking systems. But they basically have the vast majority of the projects apart from the performance projects because it would have been really hard for them to stage. So um, they're, they're also on the website. So that's um, Venice VR Expanded um, Satellite Network. Um, in the US, um, the only city where we do have a satellite is Portland, um, and that's in the Northwest Film Center. So uh, we're so happy. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, uh, we weren't able to get venues in LA and New York, which we were talking to because nothing's open. And sadly, in London too, which is very sad for me because I'm based in London. Um, but we have venues in. Um, in Canada, we have in Montreal, in the wonderful Phi Center, in Amsterdam, in the I Center, in Moscow, in Taiwan, in China, um, in in Barcelona, um, Berlin. So it's quite um, it's quite amazing. We're really excited. Oh yeah, I've got Copenhagen as well. So we've got a fantastic range of um, access in different cities around the world as well. That's that's going to be that's going to be really great for the filmmakers and for the and uh, I'm I'm so glad. I'm so glad the the trying circumstances of the year have have afforded us to have some silver linings, and this is definitely one of them. And I know that I'm going to be jumping around a lot of uh, whatever the material I can I can access. Uh, and I think one of our one of our folks is going to do this on the PC side, so we'll be we'll be doing our best to do some of that critic stuff that you, that you want to have happening. Fantastic. Um, well, I'm so happy that you're going to be um, experiencing everything. And I can't wait to hear what you think. And it's so nice to have this conversation. It's really nice to get away from my email for, um, for now. Oh, yeah. I'm totally delighted. So it's so nice to meet you, Noah. Thank you so much.
this has been fantastic, Liz. And hopefully at some point in the future, uh, we can we can do this uh, in person. So. Yeah, and I'd love to come to one of your events because I heard about them um, and they sound so cool and I you know, love reading what you're up to. So thank you so much for inviting me on this. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, we'll put all the links uh, in, in the show notes so folks uh, don't have to remember how to do things as click buttons. And uh, yeah, uh, this is all happening next week. So uh, dive in, everybody. Once again, I want to thank Liz Rosenthal for being our guest on the show. Check the show notes for links to Venice VR Expanded. We've got everything you need on that little old internet. Literally everything we need. We've become cyborgs. All right. Um, uh, you, the, the, the normal eared amongst you probably noticed that something sounded differently uh, this time out. Uh, some of the dynamics have changed. Uh while my back was turned, apparently the laptop had uh, reset my input level. I was wondering, like, wh- why I was always so quiet on on the inputs on some things. Anyway, so uh, the laptop has been uh, suitably punished, and that's helping out with the recording. But um, I'm, you know, I I took out a loan. I took out an SBA loan in order to keep things running, and that's given just a little bit of wiggle room uh, to look at a few of the fundamentals. And one of those fundamentals is some of the audio gear and software we use. So I'm looking at maybe doing like a slight little upgrade, um, not spending a lot of money, like spending like 200 bucks or something like that. Uh, And it feels kind of gauche to talk about money when I know a lot of people are suffering right now. And I know that if without that loan and without the backers on the Patreon, like I'd be working at Target. Um, No joke. That's like where I'd be working. and then I would never be able to enjoy going to Target. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm I'm getting there's some there's some tools out there in the world that would make everything better. And since we spend so much time with this as our leading thing, I think it's time that I I, I grabbed those. So I was trying to prepare for the long haul while we can, uh, while we still can. Uh, What's going on? Uh, there's some programming coming to you. Uh, the last two episodes of our DuckTales podcast are in the can. And then Zay and I are going to come back together uh, and uh, do, do, some, do some more looks at pieces of uh, the pop culture universe that we absolutely love. That'll stay in the feed um, in, until we maybe decide to spin it off and uh, see what we want to do with it there. Uh, it's, it's mostly Zay and I just love having these conversations. So, uh, we, we would do it anyway. We're just recording them. Uh, so there's, there's that, uh, and probably going to wait until next week to drop those just because Libsyn, um, you know, re-ups and, uh, you know, everything costs money everything costs money. Uh, what else is going on? Um, as I've mentioned people in the past, uh, you know, Patreon backers and people who had, have, have, hold, held on to their badges for here, bought a badge for here, which is supposed to be back in March. Uh, keep an eye on your October uh, 3rd and 4th, that first weekend in October. No, I am not having a Star Wars Squadrons tourney. I mean, we can do that if you want. Uh, <laughs> the game comes out that Friday. Um but uh, we're we're gonna do uh, an online gathering. So uh, just so you know uh, that this is you hear it here first. Uh, if you are a Patreon backer or if you are um, if you are uh, a badge holder, you will have access to the vast majority of the programming. We we may do uh, like a reservation fee for uh, a portion of the programming, which may be on Zoom. We also might not. Uh, I, I was aiming towards us doing like a, like a simple thing, uh, just like, uh, so we knew how many, uh, but as time goes on, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to, I don't want to charge. So just also, if I don't charge, then it's more of a gift. And then I feel less pressure to like, oh, let's break out the polish. And it's more like, 
I miss everybody. I want to gather everyone around. There's some conversations I would love to have. And that's how we're kind of programming it. We'll do some episodes of the podcast live. We'll create some space for folks. Um, <clears throat> we won't have something that's nearly as elaborate, as polished as Recon was last weekend. If for no other reason, then uh, we we have been working behind the scenes on this one for a few weeks. But life keeps on interfering <laughs> in particularly nasty ways. And it has slowed things down. So it's... Uh, it's. It doesn't get to have um, the sheen, maybe, that uh, we would if we were doing like a full thing. Anyway, um, but that's never really our... Our interest is more about the, the actual quality of the meal, right? There are times I think of NoPro as we are totally like street food. We are we are the, the jumped up taco truck of immersive theater podcasts um we are we're kogi man like that's 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 i, I would never want to aspire to be anything but kogi kogi is awesome for those of you who don't live in los angeles kogi is the uh korean taco truck of roy Choi, uh and it's so good uh just so so good so yeah um and if you don't know roy Choi, but you have netflix go watch chef show him and john favreau it's fun stuff um yeah so there you go. That's who we are. Um, so we're going to be who we are. And then given the September that's coming uh, and given the the macro political situation, which is mm, horrifying, uh, you know, I won't lose our minds as we as we uh, gather everybody up. Um, but still would lose our minds if we didn't gather everybody up. So that kind of rock in the hard place thing. You know, that's how I'm feeling. Just sharing my feels, which I'm so good at. Um, I'm actually bad at it. That's the funny part. Um, yeah, uh, I don't I don't know what else to, to prep or tell you. But, you know, if you're a Patreon backer or you're a badge holder, uh, you know, just just we'll have some formal announcements. Probably the top of the week after this one, just because that's how it's shaking out uh, in terms of what the programming will be but uh, definitely save the dates. And I'm saying this right now to commit myself to a course of action, which yesterday I was having some real like, uh, about, but now done. There, I've trapped myself yet again. Um, really, the town hall topics we've got are fantastic. So I really, I wanna, I wanna do this thing, but I wanna focus on that part of it and not focus on pomp and circumstance and all that stuff. And don't wanna, I don't want to build a ticketing site. That's why I'm like, do we do, do we charge? Do we charge? I don't want to build an event right for this. Uh, sometimes this comes to that. I was having a conversation with Shalana Laughlin uh, yesterday uh, about like stuff in general. We're friends. We talk. And uh, we, we were complaining about ticketing sites at one point and just like, you know, ticketing links. And I was like, maybe that's a secret. Maybe I just don't, don't charge. So I don't have to do the ticketing site. Uh, you'd, you'd be, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how decisions get made sometimes. Uh, just, you know, headaches versus not headaches. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I should probably, like, do an irregular soon and, like, just explain for those who really want to know. Okay. Um, there's more episodes in the can. Uh, we've got a couple of... Uh, we got Area 15. Uh, it's coming up next week. Um, we're going to be interviewing some folks from Supernatural soon. Um we're going to be, uh, you know, I think I think uh, we, we we will have Chris and Catherine on uh, to talk about what we're doing the site, and then also, you know, I'll, I think we're we, we need to have a conversation, um, maybe like a big conversation about just like the state of the VR industry. Uh, you know, Facebook's made some really big moves in terms of how they've structured themselves uh, with Oculus of late, and you know, look, I'm just going to lay it out here. There's a lot of people at Oculus. Uh, who I adore, and uh, the product they've made, I adore. And um, there's also a lot of things that go on in Facebook as a company that I find abhorrent uh, to a level where it is it is distressing and causes cognitive dissonance, dissonance um, because there's, there's no better piece of kit for VR. We're doing a VR show, so might as well. There's no better piece of kit for VR than the Oculus Quest. 
it's just the thing. It is the thing. It is what we needed. It's what we've been waiting for. And it, it does a hell of a lot of good in terms of getting content out to people and, and, and inducting more people into this world. And I, I truly love it. I use it every day. Um, and yet we also all know that uh, Facebook's content moderation when it comes to all the political stuff is just a nightmare. And uh, just it's, it's, it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, it, 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 it uses the language of neutrality and yet clearly there's thumbs on the scales. The algorithm pushes things in, in a certain way. Uh, and it's, it feels blindingly obvious, uh, to, to anyone who's like paying attention to the macro of it all. Um, simply because, and I'll just, I'll lay it out, right. You know, <laughs> that, that, uh, conservative commentator Ben Shapiro, uh, consistently has the number one posts on Facebook in terms of traffic. And that is enabled because Ben Shapiro has a network of groups and, and subsites that are farming out those, those links, right? It's, it's not too dissimilar from the people who buy followers on Instagram. There are people in our space who buy followers on Instagram. We've never bought followers on Instagram. I was walking back from the dentist today and I was like, should I buy followers on Instagram in order for us to get the swipe up feature? Right? Like I find that abhorrent. I find the thought abhorrent and yet to compete, right? This idea that we are the, the, the noble notion of a marketplace of ideas. Great. The reality this is this marketplace is is rigged, right? Uh, the house always wins. What does the house want? Uh, and that's why you see so much consternation about about Facebook. And at the same time, there is no other company currently in the space that is moving forward with the model that is going to create an ecosystem for. VR software that is going to get it distributed. So it's a conundrum. It's a problem. It's a thing to talk about. Yeah, it's a thing to talk about. And I just found what I want to talk about. <laughs> There's that. We'll do that, that that weekend. Yeah, that'll be the other thing. I'm down. I'm down. So there you go. I'm, I'm programming events live in front of you. Um, and, and I don't say that as a way I don't want anyone who's listening and who's held on this far, hi, weird, to to look at this and say, oh, I'm I'm condemning what's going on uh, at at Venice VR. F like far from it. Uh, the the fact that Venice VR is available on every single platform is actually something that really bolsters up the idea that you know, as in VR stickers, like that the metaverse belongs to everybody. Right, that like no one should be owning this this next iteration of the internet, um, and and these are things I think we need to to our part of the world needs to be in conversation with, because otherwise we do get locked into ecosystems that we can't get out of, and that's not the way, that's not the thing we envisioned in the '90s, and uh, it's. Not a world I want to live in. And I don't call me a little naive. That's fine. I can take it. Other things I can't take. I'll blow up at you. Call me naive. I'm okay with that. I, I don't think that Facebook is unsalvageable. Merely because it's still about the people on it. I, I moved away from Facebook a number of times over the years. I've always come back. I've come back because people stayed there and would not meet me out at Twitter or back in LiveJournal or whatever the hell we were going to be, Tumblr, wherever it was going to be at the time. They just wanted to stay on Facebook. It's why everything immersive exists on Facebook, right? It's also designed to like get people you know, connecting to everything else we do. We need an electronic commons, even if that electronic commons is sort of like you know the Starcourt Mall. All right. We need that mall to be a place where the people who use the mall every day have a say. There are there are other ways. Okay. There's a different relationship that we can have. And I think I think that there is a way to 
get those values uh, decalcified, get the barnacles off them, and get that moving through that system again. And if it doesn't, if Facebook can't hang, then Facebook needs to get some serious competition to it across multiple vectors. So that's weirdly did not expect to go here. That's, that's where things are. Um, that's where my mind is at the moment. So continues to be a paradox. I continue to be very, very excited about how VR is maturing right now. And I continue to be very, very worried about um, the, the overall infrastructure of the whole thing <laughs> and very, very concerned about the overall infrastructure of my country, the United States of America. There you go. That is more than enough. That was a rant when I just intended a, hey, here's a programming note, whatever. The coffee kicked in. Literally, I just had the coffee five minutes ago. All right. That's enough for this week. Thank you all so much. Let's give a shout out to our current Patreon backers uh, who indeed are being joined by two new, uh, two new sustaining backers next week. And that would be Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. If you can stand this show, please <laughs> back it at Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. The executive editor of No Proscenium is Catherine Yu. Uh, the music for No Proscenium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, thank you for wearing the mask. <laughs>